What a great morning. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, take just a moment to recognize the significance of this day. Uh, 9-11 is a day that we will all remember. I think of my parents as they talk about uh, the day that JFK was assassinated, and they can tell you exactly where they were and what they were doing at that time. And for all of us in the room this morning, we could do the same thing about when we first heard the news. <laughs> so I do believe it's important to uh, remember this day and the sacrifice that so many people made to try to rescue as many as possible and, and many of those people losing their lives in the process. Um, as you can probably tell, <laughs> I'm a little bit uh, sensitive uh, as, a, as a person, and so I, I have a hard time watching uh, some of the recollections that people do during this time of year about this day. Uh, but Terry made me sit down with her and watch that this week uh, on one occasion, and it was good. It was good to remember uh, the significance of what happened uh, in those who lost their lives. We need to remember this day, but not in anger. Instead, with a, a renewed resolve never to do the same, to live life differently. And as was already mentioned, as believers in Jesus Christ, it should be a reminder that this world is not our home. Whether it's 9-11 or any other significant event in history, it's important to be reminded because as someone once said, those who cannot remember the past are doomed to repeat it. But remembering the past is only important as it impacts how we live for today. As we will see in our passage this morning, the Bible repeatedly calls us to remember. We're called to remember the Sabbath and, and to keep it holy. We're told to remember the truths of Scripture and to, to treasure them in, the, in our heart and to, to meditate on them day and night. Last week we took communion and Carrie reminded you of the words spoken by Jesus Christ when he took the, the bread and he took the cup and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And then we looked at our passage and we learned about those who were short-sighted, those who were led astray by false teachers. And do you remember the reason for their compromise? They forgot. They were short-sighted and followed the ways of the world because they forgot their purification from their former sins. In other words, they did not remember the depths from which they had been saved. And what happens when we do not remember the impact of what has happened in our past is it influence, influences how we live today in our present. 9-11 is an important day to remember because of all the innocent lives that were lost on that day. But there is no more day more important than the day that our Savior Jesus Christ gave His life for you and I. When the perfect innocent, He who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf. That's the day we should never forget. Let's never forget the price that was paid so that you and I could have life. And when we remember that day in the past, 
may it always, always reflect how we live in the present. Amen? Let's pray together. God, as we look at your word this morning, we, uh, we pray, as is relevant from the words that we have already read, that we would have eyes to see, that we would not uh, be closed to the truth, willfully closing our eyes to what you would intend for us to hear for the purpose of helping us grow in our knowledge of you and the life that you've given us. So this morning, in a very special way, help us to to see what you desire us to see, to hear what you desire us to hear. And may we be changed by it. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. In our passage last week, just as a reminder, we looked at the list of qualities that Peter gave us to describe a person who is diligent to construct a godly life. We learned about these qualities and how if they're they're present and increasing, they give evidence that we are useful and fruitful in the work of God and in our knowledge of Jesus Christ is our Savior. At the same time, as I've already mentioned, we were warned about those who were blind or short-sighted. I made the point that I believe this describes two particular groups of people. Those who have denied the truth and those who have forgotten the truth. Those whose lives were never built on the foundation of a faith in Jesus Christ. And then those who have taken that step of faith, but then close their eyes to the transforming truth of His Word. It's these two groups of people that Peter has in mind and we need to be attentive to as we look at our passage this morning. So with that in mind, if you would look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Because of the growing presence of false teachers in the church, and the blind obedience of those who are choosing to follow them, be all the more diligent to make sure that either of these two groups do not describe you. Blind or willfully blind. Those who never accepted the truth and and those who once knew the truth but then closed their eyes to that truth. Examine your life, Peter says. Ask yourself the question, what does what I see in my life say about what I believe in my heart? And you'll look and see this same challenge In other places in Scripture, for example, Paul says the same thing to the Corinthians when he writes, test yourselves and see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or or do you not recognize this about yourself, that, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? And let me point out here that neither Paul or Peter is instructing us to test our Bible knowledge. 
This can be misleading because knowing the truth does not necessarily indicate that you have surrendered to the truth. And Paul and Peter tell us to examine ourselves and the pattern of our behavior because our lips can be deceiving. But our life, more often, will tell the truth about what we believe. Make certain, Peter says. It's an interesting word in the original text, and it fits beautifully with what we've been describing up to this point about building our house of faith. The word Peter uses here was often used to describe a warranty deed for a home. It was a certificate that that validated the owner of a specific piece of property. Peter seems to to tie this into his previous description by telling us that a life of godliness validates that the owner and architect of your home is Jesus Christ. How we live says something about whose we are. And keep in mind, This is a self-examination. We are not told to test ourselves in order to prove something to God. We're not informing God of something that He doesn't already know. God knows your heart. He knows everything about you. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that is hidden from Him. God's not asking you to take a test so He can see how much you know. He, He knows your heart. At the same time. You're not being told to to examine yourself in order for the benefit of others. It's not my job to convince you that I'm a Christian. Peter says, examine yourself so that you may know that you have been chosen by him. Because when you're certain of your calling, he goes on to say, when you remember your past forgiveness of sins... It will always impact how you live your daily life. To the point that, Peter says, when you're mindful about whose you are and what he has called you to become, you will never stumble. Now that's interesting, isn't it? You'll never stumble. Is there anyone in this room who has never stumbled? And yet, as we look around each other and and, and see faces that we know, we know that this place is filled with people who are certain of his calling and who, in fact, are diligent to construct a godly life. I know that's true. And so this is obviously not suggesting that if you are a Christian, that you will not sin. And beyond just what we know from our own personal experience, Scripture validates that as well. James says in James chapter 3, verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. James says, we all stumble. John agrees with this same assessment. He takes it a step further, actually, and says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if we put all this together, we can be certain that that Peter is not suggesting that Christians never fail. But if that's the case, what does he mean when he tells us that the certainty of our calling keeps us from stumbling? 
context is often the greatest teacher. And when we look at the context of what Peter has just said, and, and we examine the fact that he has told us to, to challenge, he's challenged us to examine ourselves to be sure that we are neither blind nor short-sighted. If we think about that, I want you to consider this question. What happens to a person who is either blind or has their eyes closed when they're walking down a path and someone sets a trap for them where they'll know they'll step? What happens? They fall in it, don't they? They stumble right into a trap that they never saw because they were blind or they had their eyes closed. The blind in our passage are the false teachers. Those who live in this pit. And the short-sighted or the spiritually lazy. Those who have closed their eyes to the truth and are all too easily fall and stumble into that trap of deception from these false teachers. On the other hand, if you are certain of your calling, if you are diligent to, to build a godly life on a foundation of faith in Jesus Christ, if your eyes are open to the truth of His Word and your heart is submissive to the work of His Spirit, the promise of Scripture and the point that Peter is making to us here this morning is that you will not forsake God and follow false teachers. You will not stumble on lies when you are committed to following the truth. Choosing to close your eyes to the truth is a willful decision. My family and I um, have been uh, challenged I guess you would say, in the last couple of years, with Grant in his uh, sleepwalking. <laughs> well, Graham didn't have this problem. He every once in a while would wake up in the night. But, but Grant actually gets up and walks in his sleep. And, and when this happens, everything about him looks like he's awake. But I assure you, he is sound asleep. His eyes are wide open. He's looking at you. And that's a little freaky. Because the boy is sound asleep. He'll have a conversation with you and tell you about aliens and race cars and all kinds of stuff. Makes no sense whatsoever. We put him back to bed. He goes back to sleep or lays down sleeping this time. And we'll ask him about it in the morning. He has no idea what we are talking about. Last week I suggested that I believe there are way too many people in the church who are walking around with their eyes closed. I believe they're sleepwalking. Everything about them looks like they're awake. They're going through the motions of life, but in fact, they're sound asleep. You've encountered people like this when you sit across the table with someone who's going to walk out on their spouse. Eyes wide open, looking you right in the eye and telling you it's okay. God wants me to be happy. I just married the wrong person. These are the people you want to reach across the table and shake them and say, Wake up! Wake up! You are living in a dream world of lies. But sadly, all too often, if people are, have allowed themselves to be lured to sleep by closing their eyes to the truth and, and then listening to lies, no matter how hard you try, you just can't wake them up. But you need to know, 
You don't get to this place overnight. And somebody doesn't just wake up one morning and say, I think I'll cheat on my wife. It does not happen. They don't, as students, say to themselves, I think I'll just ignore everything my parents have ever told me today. You don't do that. What happens is that you begin to accept lies in your life when you first make the decision to take your eyes off the truth and you continue down that path. Do Christians make mistakes? Absolutely. Do we do the things that we shouldn't do at times and say the things that we shouldn't say? Yes. But listen, you will not follow a lifestyle permitted by false teachers if you are diligent to live a godly life by the resources that you have in Christ. Participating in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and living in authentic community with God's people. And Peter is writing these words to affirm us, to strengthen our resolve, to open our eyes to what we have in Christ. That's his point. He already told us that Jesus Christ has supplied you everything you need for a life of devotion. And then in verse 11, as we've already read, he says that Jesus will also supply life eternal. And so if you consider the the bookends of what I've just said, that, that Jesus in this life has supplied you everything you need for life and godliness, and then he's also supplied you everything you need for entrance into the eternal kingdom, a good question to ask is, well, my goodness, what else is there? And the answer is nothing. He's given you everything. Peter wants us to know that we are not earning our salvation or or working to protect something that, in fact, we cannot lose. Instead, we are living out of the reality of what we have been given in view of the promise of what we will receive. We are living out of the reality of what we have been given in view of the promise of what we will receive. And all that richness is found in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the eternal perspective that keeps us from being short-sighted because it always has the end in mind. It tells us what we are living for. My assurance, my, my certainty is not in who I am and what I've done. It's in whose I am and what He has done for me. And when I remember that, when I remember the depths from which I have been saved, it changes the way I live. Look at how Peter continues the thought in in verse 12. It says, Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And Paul says, I'm reminding you of things you already know to be true. (laughs) I read that and I thought, that's why we do what we do on Sunday morning right here and now. I'm reminding you of the things that you already know to be true. You see, because it's not my job to teach you some new truth every Sunday. I, like Peter, am called to remind you of what God has already revealed to be true in his word. And because it's there, you know it's true. I'm just reminding you. In fact, I would urge you to be aware of any teacher who brings to you a new revelation of something not yet known in the history 
of Orthodox Christianity. Very often, false teachers begin their heresy with a new revelation. Joseph Smith, the father of Mormonism, said to have been visited by an angel and was given what? A new revelation of a true gospel and a true church. His heresy began with a new revelation. Some 50 years later, a guy by the name of Charles Russell said that he had a new revelation and that he was the only one who could accurately interpret Scripture. He was the father of what we know as Jehovah's Witnesses. His heresy began with a new revelation. And the list goes on and on and on. Our goal as a church is not to discover some new revelation. Our goal is to be reminded of what God has already revealed to be true, to be changed by it as we apply it to our life and construct a life of godliness on our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Scripture tells us not to forsake what you're doing here this morning. You're gathering together. Because when we become spiritually lazy and we lose sight of the importance of being reminded, our complacency becomes fertile ground for compromise. When you step away from the truth, revealed in the context of the body of Christ, you're walking into a trap of deception. I was reminded of that fact earlier this week as I was reading through Psalms. And as I was reading through Psalms, it fit exactly what was being communicated by Peter in the passage this morning. Just listen and see the connection. Psalm 106 verse 7 says, Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. He goes on to say in verse 13, They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait on his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request. They got what they wanted, but sent a wasting disease among them. The people of God were together. But they forgot his works, and they did not wait for his counsel. I believe that what Peter writes is an echo of David's warning. Those who don't remember what God has done will eventually turn to rebellion by doing what they selfishly desire apart from him. Melanie Park, we need to be a church that remembers. We need to be committed to our gathering together so that we can be established in what we know to be true. We need to be convinced that we are never too old to to learn and we're never too smart not to be reminded. Because in the spiritual realm, there is no neutral ground. Let me show you what I mean in verse 13. Peter goes on and writes, And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. Also, our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. One of the things that that I've realized over the years is that When I'm exercising routinely, I have more energy on a day-to-day basis. And when I stop 
exercising, it just seems like I'm always tired. (laughs) That's because laziness makes you sleepy. Peter says, I'm writing to stir you up. Or more literally from the original text, he says, I'm writing to arouse you from slumber, to wake you up by way of reminder. And here's why. One of Newton's laws of motion says that every action must be coupled with an equal and opposite reaction. It's something we all learned in, in our school. In other words, there's no neutral ground. Any action is coupled with a reaction. One or the other is happening at any given point in time. In the spiritual realm, there's a similar law. I want us to look at this one together. Turn to Romans chapter 12, if you would. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, familiar. Listen for the law. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Here's the law. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Here, too, we see that there is no neutral ground. You are either being conformed by the world or being transformed by the renewing of your mind. One or the other is happening at any given point in time. The urgency that Peter feels is due to the fact that there were some in the church who were becoming spiritually lazy and their eyes were getting heavy. They were in danger of closing their eyes to the transforming truth of God's word. And so his reminder was intended to be a wake-up call. Once they stopped listening to the truth, they would inevitably be conformed into the ways of the world. Because you'll notice that he, despite the fact that he knows that his death is imminent, that's not his primary concern, is it? God told him that his time would be soon, but that was what Peter used as motivation to make sure that the message that he had from him was was heard. Peter was not worried about the fact that he was going to die. The focus of his concern was reminding Christians, you and I, how to live. So that even when he was gone, we would call these things to mind. And even as we read them today, That desire has been met, hasn't it? But think about this. How many years has it been since Peter first penned these words? Almost 2,000 years, right? So there was a lot of people between the Apostle Peter when he wrote these words and you and I as we are here today who felt like this must have been important enough to keep that message strong. Well, what about the next generation? Who's going to tell them? Do you feel equally as convicted that this message needs to be heard? Because I believe that responsibility has been passed to you and I, young and old alike. Parents and and grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been given some precious 
and magnificent promises. These are truths that must not be forgotten. The reminder spoken by Peter must not die with his voice, but should be kept alive through the voice of the church. That's you. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I believe, personally, that one of the greatest blessings that we appreciate in this particular church family is the multiple generations that are represented on any given Sunday. In fact, you can look, and there are several examples of three and four generations in one family that are here on Sunday morning worshiping together in this church. That's incredible to me. Especially in light of the fact that so much of the strategic methods of the churches today highlight one particular group. And you walk into that church and you won't see all those generations represented. And I think that's a sad, sad reality. But for you and I, knowing what we know comes with a responsibility. Turn back, if you would, to Psalms. We're going to look at Psalms and finish up with this. Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verse 5 is where we'll read. Listen to uh, what is written in this psalm and how it relates to what we've been talking about this morning. It says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Why? Because they forgot. It wasn't important enough to remember. I hope that one of the things that you hear very clearly this morning is that those who do not remember the truths of God are prone to rebel against Him. And for that reason, we have a tremendous responsibility from one generation to the next to stay stirred up, to be diligent in our faith, and to be reminded of the truth of God's Word. What we do as a church is critically important to the cause of Christ. And here's why. Because comfortable Christians, in the context of a culture of tolerance, are prone to become lazy. And laziness leads to sleepiness. And if you choose to close your eyes to God's truth, you will all too easily stumble into the trap of the enemy's deception. Along with Peter, I'm reminding you in hopes that you will hear the wake-up call. So with that in mind, let me encourage you to, to do a couple of things this week. I want you to begin by confirming your calling. And the best way that I know how to ask you to do that is to encourage you to tell someone your story of faith. Sit down with someone this week and tell them about how you have committed your life to Christ. What convinced you that, that Jesus was real? What, in fact, did he do for you that you can't do for yourself? 
What is there in your life in terms of the sin that so easily entangles you that, that His Spirit has convicted you of and you have continued to strive towards walking in purity? Examine yourself. Tell your story. And then, if you would, turn to that person you're talking to and ask them this question. What do you see in my life that gives evidence that I'm building my house on the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ? That I'm in growing and maturing in a life of godliness? And then listen. Listen to what they tell you. Examine yourself. Make certain of your calling. Test yourself to make sure that you are in the faith. And measure your life against the blueprint of Christ's example and make sure, make sure that there is evidence that He, in fact, is the owner and architect of your house of faith. Make sure that you're not blind or sleepwalking lest you stumble and fall into a trap of deception. The next thing I want to encourage you to do is to to dedicate this week to reminding others of what you know to be true. Today we often look at as a day of remembering, and rightly so. But what I want to encourage you to do as a church is to commit this whole week to a week of remembering. Okay, And, And all throughout this week I want you to be reminded yourself and then remind others of what you know to be true from what you found in His Word as you've pursued that relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. Send a note. Write an email. Post something on Facebook. And I'm friends with all of you, so I'm looking for it. (laughs) But do something to encourage someone. Pick up the phone. Call somebody. We had this conversation with my brother, with my my brother, my son, Graham, this uh, couple weeks ago. And he says, Dad, nobody ever calls anybody on the phone anymore. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Well, try that. Call somebody on the phone with your voice. Speak to them a promise of God. Maybe it's one of your favorite verses. Maybe it's something that God has showed you in your time in the Word. Maybe you know they're going through a particular difficult time and give them a word of encouragement that you know to be true because it's right here in this book. Dedicate this week to be a week of remembering and reminding others of the life-giving truth found in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember that. Let's pray together. God, uh, there are times that uh, we hear your voice like a whisper. And then there are times when it is loud and clear. And this seems to be one of those times, as you have spoken through the words of, of Peter, that you want us to hear loud and clear so that we have, you have our undivided attention. May we examine ourselves, test ourselves to make sure that our life is built on a foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. And may it not only be by what we know, but how we live. That there is evidence that this house is being constructed in godliness based on the blueprint of the example of what we've seen in the character of Jesus Christ. Father, we recognize that we all fail and and we do stumble, but we will never take our eyes off of you and follow lies if daily we are pursuing an intimacy of that relationship that you offer. Father, help us to to be comforted in that truth that 
as long as we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we will endure. Help us to not grow weary and lose heart. Strengthen us in the resolve to stay close, stay connected with you and with one another. Protect us from walking away, from willfully closing our eyes. May they be wide open to your truth. We pray this in your name. Amen.